to Literary Anything, our Marion Libraries podcast where we talk about anything literary and literary anything. I'm Jang. I'm Paula. Here we are. How are you? Good, thank you. And Good. you? Good. I'm well, thanks. We're very cold. We are. Winter <laughs> is here. Mm. And mm. we didn't, our little room that we record in has got patchy or extreme, extreme. air conditioning. It's either very hot mm. or very mm. cold. Yeah, so we've got multiple layers. We've stolen cardigans from other <laughs> staff for our lap. So I'm literally like a sausage. In my so if you hear <laughs> some chattering, it's, don't worry, it's just our teeth. It's our teeth. <laughs> We're freezing. <laughs> so this month we read My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix. Yes, and do you have one of your little author blurbs? Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, sure. I love it when you do of that. Of course. <laughs> I found looking into Grady Hendrix, so interesting. Did you uh, read anything no, about him? No, I know nothing. This is great. I love this. Gosh, like what an interesting life or brain this person has. Okay. So I didn't really look into anything about the book before we picked it and read it. So mm. uh, he's written lots of lots of books. He's an American author, journalist. He's a public speaker, screenwriter. His 2014 horror novel is called Horror Store and it's store st O-R, like a Swedish Like a German, store. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Mm. So it might be horror store, stair, store, how would you say that? Mm, I know nothing about those Let's languages. pretend I didn't say any of that then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hendrix lives in Manhattan and one of was one of the founders of the New York Asian Film Festival. He worked in the library of the American Society for Physical Research before turning to professional writing. He's written, numer- written for numerous media outlets. He's written for Playboy, New York Post, and before it closed in 2008, was a film critic for the New York Sun. He attended the Clarion Workshop uh, in San Diego. You've, uh, I've spoke about the Clarion Workshop years ago on mm-hmm. the podcast about, and I couldn't remember which author it was, but it's a pretty big deal to be selected for the Clarion Workshop. It's a six-week workshop for aspiring science fiction and fantasy oh. writers. I thought maybe it might have been Cassandra... Montag who wrote After the Flood but I couldn't oh. I couldn't confirm that so I don't know if mm. you're feeling desperate please listen back to all of our episodes <laughs> and find out which author it was and then so. let us know <laughs> so he attended those workshops in 2012 he co-wrote Dirt Candy which is a cookbook it's a, the first graphic novel cookbook around oh. because his wife Amanda Cohen owns Dirt Candy which is a restaurant in New York which is a vegetarian restaurant it's based it's plant-based food and it's really oh. experimental and interesting and strange and you should have gone there when you were in I New know, York I know mm. if only future me had <laughs> gone back to past me and said try this place out <laughs> so they wrote a cookbook so he co-wrote that with his wife Amanda Cohen and another uh, author or writer Ryan Dull Dunlavy. Mm. I've actually heard of a graphic novel cookbook oh. since, which is that Nat's What I Reckon cookbook. Yes, yes yeah. I know that one. Mm. So this was, yeah, so this Dirt Candy was written back in 2012, so ages ago now, almost 10 years ago. His original novel, Horror Store, uh, was optioned into a TV series. And I'll, Horror, Store <laughs> Horror Store is about a haunted furniture store which is very similar sounding to Ikea. <laughs> so it's oh. a, haunted, a haunted Ikea type That's <laughs> funny. shop. Apparently it's hilarious. It's kind of pictorial, like it's a biggish looking book and it's, it seems to have some, like quite a few graphics in it as well. 
and I read something that said, you know, you have to <laughs> you have to unscrew the fat flat packed furniture as quickly as you can to destroy the <laughs> Like the whatever is is haunting this furniture with the little, you know, Alan hexagon key. <laughs> so he's a really a man. He sounds like he's got the most interesting creative mm. brain. Mm. He's also written a non-fiction study called Paperbacks from Hell, the twisted history of 70s and 80s horror fiction. So that's apparently highly acclaimed, that, that non-fiction piece. Mm. Uh, this book, of course, he wrote in 2016. So Best Friends, Exorcism and Horror Store, which I've just mentioned, have both been optioned for film adaptations. And you would have seen this book around as well, The Southern the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Yes. You've seen that cover. That was a big hit when that came out. And The Final Girl Support Group, which is just about to come out. Oh, I was going to say, I haven't heard of that one. That uh, They're all slated for television ad- adaptations. Mm. Um, and he also hosts his own podcast, called Super Scary Haunted Homeschool, <laughs> which also sounds hilarious. Right, we'll have to check so that out. really interesting. His website, you should have a look later. It's we, We'll put the link in the in the thing. Show notes, yeah. Yeah, I always call them the thing. <laughs> we'll put the link in the show notes. <laughs> his website's hilarious. Oh, his cool. Own, what he's written about himself in his bio is really funny. Oh, too. okay. So, yeah, that's Grady Hendrix. Would you like me to read the blurb? Uh, re- yeah, read the blurb, yep. So My Best Friend's Exorcism, a novel by Grady Hendrix. 1988 Charleston, South Carolina. High school sophomores Abby and Gretchen have been best friends since fourth grade. But after an evening of skinny, bi- skinny dipping goes disastrously wrong, Gretchen begins to act different. She's moody, she's irritable, and bizarre incidents keep happening whenever she's nearby. Abby's investigation leads her to some startling discoveries and by the time their story reaches its terrifying conclusion, the fate of Abby and Gretchen will be determined by a single question. Is their friendship powerful enough to beat the devil? Like an unholy hybrid of Beaches and The Exorcist, My Best Friend's Exorcism blends teen angst, adolescent drama, unspeakable horrors and a mix of 80s pop songs into a pulse-pounding supernatural thriller. (laughs) (laughs) And as Jane pointed out to me soon after we got this book, is every chapter start, well, is called an 80s pop song. Yes. She said, oh, we should do a Spotify playlist. Yeah. (laughs) And of course, I looked on Spotify and there is a Spotify (laughs) playlist of the songs from this book, which is cool. So this book starts in present day, and the way it's framed, it kind of reminded me of at least the film version of, I can't remember the book version, but at least the film version of Stand By Me. Mm, Do you remember that, how Richard Dreyfuss is looking back? It's sort of like that. And at the beginning, it outlines everything that happens in the book, but in a way that you don't understand at first. If you go back and read it after you've been through the whole book then you say oh right she tells us exactly everything that's or he Mm. tells us exactly everything that's going to happen but you don't understand it when you first read it and then it flashes back to 1982 when abby is having her 10th birthday party at a roller skating rink which awesome (laughs) (laughs) did you have Uh, yeah i really felt that roller skating birthday party that was me you're we're a little bit in the 80s i was sort of more of a primary school age kids yeah and I was a bit I was one year younger than Abby 
yeah so yeah yeah i definitely fit the roller skating i was like oh my gosh i know right nostalgic it was so yeah and the lights and the music and you skate around in a circle (laughs) maybe the boy you like holds your hand and you (laughs) skate around (laughs) anyway she's having her 10th birthday party and she's super excited to roller skate and show everybody how amazing she is at roller skating because she's been practicing and then because of a competing birthday party nobody shows up except for this weird new girl called Gretchen. Yeah. And Abby is not happy about it at first, and Gretchen's mother makes Gretchen give Abby a Bible as her (laughs) birthday present. That's how their relationship starts off. But they slowly become better friends, and Gretchen's parents, they don't let her watch TV or movies, and they're super religious and strict, so Abby slowly introduces uh, Gretchen to pop culture, and Gretchen's parents are rich, and Abby's are poor, and then become poorer, because uh, Gretchen's dad is going through, I think, a depression, when you say... Mm, Jane. Yeah, definitely. And so he's becomes less and less able to work, um, which affects their the family's income. And so Abby starts spending many, many nights at Gretchen's and becomes like a member of Gretchen's mm. family. So that's the rocky start that they have, but then they become best friends in this way that I feel like you can only be best friends with someone at yeah. that age, where yeah. it's so intense. Yeah. Yeah. And... Gretchen's relationship with, well, really, I guess both of the girls have problematic relationships with their parents. Mm. Their parents are obviously going through various things. But there is a scene where Gretchen's mother actually beats her with a brush. Mm. Yeah, because they were listening to Like a Virgin by Madonna. That's right. And they borrowed her crosses. Yeah, her proper (laughs) proper religious Catholic crosses. And they were wearing them and... Yeah, singing like a virgin. Yeah, 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 and then that causes Gretchen's mom to freak out and then beat her with a brush. Anyway, then it flashes forward to 1988, Mm. and they befriend Margaret and Glee, and then the four of them become this inseparable clique, and they're really popular, and they're attractive, and they're smart. They do really well at school. And then they get acid, LSD, from Margaret's older brother, Riley. And they are at Margaret's place, which is near a creek. And they decide to take this acid. But then nothing really happens. But then they decide to go skinny dipping. And Gretchen runs off into the water. Everybody's yelling after her, no, the tide's out, don't go. And she just runs out. And then they lose her. And they can't find her. And they can't find her for the whole night. Yeah, the whole, in, like, until the morning. Yeah. yeah, and they're looking for her. It's a really, yeah, it's a weird mm. time because, yeah, they just don't know where she is. Anyway, they eventually find her in a deserted house on Margaret's property. She's naked, filthy. She's got stuff smeared all over her. Some of it's red. And we don't really know what that is. And Gretchen's got no memory of what's happened to her. And then from there, Gretchen slowly begins to transform. First, she transforms into this, like, dirty, filthy, her clothes. She wears the same clothes all the time, and they're Mm. always gross, scared version of her former self. Mm. And she hears these voices, and she's... Like, feel, like, (laughs) like, ridiculously gross. Like, her skin's all scabbed Mm. up, and her her breath stinks yes and she smells terrible and just 
foul sounding. Mm, yeah. yeah. And she's hearing these voices, mm. right? And she's begging Abby to help her. But Abby doesn't really know what to do or how she can help her. And none of the adults mm. around are really listening. And what is it that Gretchen's parents think is wrong with her? I can't remember now. Drugs. Oh, drugs. Yeah. yeah. Because Abby confesses that they did LSD, which mm. I don't know. That was a weird thing because I, I yeah. guess they did it, but none of them really had any kind of reaction to yeah. it. So it wasn't even really like they did it. And, but then they decide Abby's a bad influence and... The girls are into drugs. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, she starts to turn into this gorgeous, self-assured, but very mean version of herself. And they ostracize Abby. So none of the girls are talking to Abby anymore. And the people around Gretchen start to develop problems. So Abby has problems with her skin and she's very self-conscious about it and she puts her makeup on every morning in order to cover up the scars that she has from her bad skin and but worse are what happened to glee and margaret so glee eventually becomes suicidal over this teacher who she thinks is in love with her but you you understand later on that it's it's gretchen who's been forging these letters pretending that they're from a teacher and then yeah glee falls in love with him but then when he rejects her she becomes suicidal and is like threatening to throw herself off of a roof and then she nearly kills margaret because margaret is has struggled with her weight which i didn't get the feeling she was overweight she was just a like just a big girl generally i think and so she gives her these quote-unquote milkshakes that she says that her mother gets from some foreign country. And I guess they're supposed to be like a meal replacement. And you see these little graphics of these torn-out bits of paper that are uh, Margaret writing down what she's eaten every day. And it's always like, you know, six grapes and two apple slices. Mm. And slowly, and then like two milkshakes. And then it's like six milkshakes. And slowly the milkshakes just become pretty much everything that she's consuming and she's initially she loses weight and she's looking amazing and her boyfriend's so hot for her and all this but then obviously eventually it goes downhill until she's finally bedridden and then abby goes to her and she's hideous can't get out of her bed her belly is huge and distended. And in a horrific scene, this giant tapeworm mm. comes out of Margaret, pulled out by her dog. Oh, just all of this was just, just the grossest. So <laughs> gross. And after that, they say that oh. a nest, oh. I mean, the word nest, it's such a bad word. You know a how n- I feel about things like this. It's just, those of us who have got, is it tropophobia? This is just... That was a thing. It is a thing. Don't ever Google it. Don't ever Google it. Now you know I'm going to have to. (laughs) Anyway, continue Mm. on. A nest of 23 pounds of tapeworms were found feeding off of Margaret's insides for the past weeks. Hence her Mm. decrepit bedroom Because the milkshakes... That's right. ...are just powdered tapeworm Tapeworms. And eggs. so I ha- did, you ha- did you did <laughs> you did you Google that? Because I had to no. Google that. I was like, "Is that a thing that people did?" Uh, it's, I did not Google it's, that. It's it's not it's not real. It's not a real 
thing. But just, it, you know, you're post, supposed to take it was like a weight loss thing. Mm. You drink one of these milkshakes that have got like the pound, the sachet of it looks like sandy kind of stuff, and it's just tapeworm eggs. Ugh. ugh. <laughs> and you drink the milkshake, and you're supposed to have one, mm. but she is having multiple milkshakes. Mm. So she's. Oh, it's just. <laughs> One of the grossest, worst things I've ever read. (laughs) (laughs) So eventually, Abby enlists the help of who she, a man who she calls the exorcist. And she knows the exorcist from this crazy school rally that they have where they get this Christian boy band called the Lemon Brothers Faith and Fitness Show. (laughs) Which was this weird thing where they just are up on stage kind of flexing their muscles and lifting things? <laughs> Did you have assemblies like this when you were in high school or is this a North American thing? We had assemblies, but they're nothing like what I imagine North American high school assembly. There's no big stage mm. and there's no there's none of that stuff that you see in those teen American movies. It's it's literally you're sitting on the ground. There's no seats. You're sitting on the ground and listening to the principal and that's you know, and then you go. Okay. It's yeah. not it's nothing like that. Right. I mean we had an auditorium with a stage and seating mm. and stuff like that. We never had any shows like this. <laughs> well, you'd think not. <laughs> Wouldn't you? It's bizarre. <laughs> but anyway, during this show one of the Lemon Brothers looks at Gretchen and sees mm. that she has a demon who that's possessing her. Yeah. So eventually Abby gets up the nerve to contact him and enlist his help to help him, to help her with Gretchen. So Abby confronts Gretchen to try and lure her away so that she and Chris can perform this exorcism. And during this confrontation, a bunch of things happen, but the worst thing was that Gretchen kills her dog Max mm. who the two of them had affectionately nicknamed good dog Max and that was the most traumatic part of the story for me they sh- so she sad. shoots first she says for Abby to kill him mm. and I was like oh uh, no and then Abby mm. can't do it and then eventually Gretchen mm. shoots Max yeah oh, I just hate things with animals I know <sighs> I anyway know. same but Abby manages to drug Gretchen, and then she and Chris transport her to Gretchen's holiday house where it's off-season, so it's deserted, so they can make lots of noise and do all the things that happen in an exorcism <laughs> with noisy, nobody around. Those noisy. Those noisy exorcisms. <laughs> so then they begin this exorcism that, I don't know, I found, like, trite, if an exorcism can be trite. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like he just watched The Exorcist and yes. kind of wrote everything the same as that. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, they go through these familiar steps of exorcism. So the religious chanting and then the mm. demon, the demon is called Andres. And the demon eventually, like at first Gretchen's like, oh, help me, I'm not possessed. Uh. <laughs> and then eventually Andres does come out and starts speaking in German mm. and yeah. Um, All the things. All the things. All the things that demons do. Yeah. (laughs) So then Chris decides that he needs his father's help. He's in over his head Mm. and he needs his father's help. So he leaves, leaving Abby there to battle the demon on her own. (laughs) And at first, Abby is continuing Mm. trying to pick up where Chris left off and doing all the religious Mm. chanting. 
But then eventually she decides to change the chants to something that means a little bit more to her and to Gretchen by invoking the gods of the 80s. <laughs> and I just want to read an excerpt of what that sounds I like. I thought of you when I was reading this <laughs> bit. I thought she'd be loving this bit. Yep. <laughs> she spoke in a loud, clear voice. By the power of Phil Collins, I rebuke you, she said. By the power of Phil Collins, who knows that you coming back to me is against all odds. In his name, I command you to leave this servant of Genesis alone. The wind was screaming and the house shook as the wicker chest flew into the far wall. She held on to Gretchen's feet with one hand and kept reciting. By the power of the thorn birds, she cried. By the sacred strength of my sweet Audrina and forever, I deny and rebuke you, Andras. By the power of of lost retainers and Jamaica and bad cornrows and fireflies and Madonna. By all these things, I rebuke you. <laughs> and she, it goes on. There's a lot of sort of in-jokes between her and Margaret that she throws in there, so I thought I won't mm. go on because it, that won't make sense to people who haven't read it. But through that and through Abby finally professing her love and profound f- friendship for Gretchen the power of their friendship triumphs and the demon leaves. And then there's kind of a denouement and that was sort of the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, yeah, it was sort of the end. I, I really appreciated that there was more. More. Talk, talk about the more. Maybe I should have well, got into the you more know, a the bit. Demon, the demon is expelled, and the, but then Abby is arrested because oh, that's it's right. been set up to seem like, well, she did drug her and abduct her, but... It's been uh, set up by the demon possessing Gretchen that, you know, Abby would be arrested. Her life is over. She's been blamed for all of everything that's happened. Um, So she goes to court and then at the last sort of minute, you know, very – you can see it in a movie really, Mm -hmm. you know, in comes the exorcist who – kind of saves the day and right. takes the blame for everything. Right. You know, hence I think she references it at the at front. The, at the very beginning, the she said saved, her, saved life. her life. Yeah, that's um, right. So the exorcist took all the blame for, for drugging Gretchen, for abducting, for abducti- abducting her and coercing Abby into to doing all of these things and, you know, making it look like she's been torturing her. And eventually... The exorcist gets arrested, and then eventually the you know the the case holds no water, so it's all dismissed anyway. Mm. Gretchen stays in South Carolina. Um, Abby and her family that they leave, they pick up and leave for New Jersey. Mm. You know, and then she talks about their friendship over the over the years, how it you know ebbs and flows like normal friendships do. You mm. know, they were they were um, speaking every day, and then every month, and then every six months, and then they might not speak for a year, but then they're you know, they're back in each other's lives when, you know, someone has a baby or mm. they get married or whatever. And then it, it comes right to the end. They're old ladies mm. and it ends that I think earlier in the book they talk about seeing Haley's Comet. Oh, that's right. And then the next time Haley's Comet comes around they'll be I think ninety three. Mm. And at the end there they reference back to that that they don't quite make seeing Haley's Comet again. The next but they've one. been friends for for 75, best friends for 75 years. Mm. Here, I'll read this last bit. Okay, yeah, you do that. Abby Rivers and Gretchen Lang were best friends on and off for 75 years and there weren't many people who can say that. They weren't perfect. They didn't always get along. They screwed up. They acted like assholes. They fought. They fell out. They patched things up. They drove each other crazy and they didn't make it to Haley's Comet. 
but they tried. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, like gigantic spoiler alert. That's literally the last <laughs> paragraph of the whole book. So I, I really love, love, loved that rounded out ending. It seemed appropriate for a book like this that's so deliberately schmaltzy about everything right. that you would have an ending like this. Right. I read somebody on Goodreads said they cried at that ending. Yeah, I didn't cry. Mm, no, neither did I. I mean, and I cry. <laughs> yeah, I know. know this. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> We've cried right here on the podcast. <laughs> I really liked that. I liked that okay. the friendship was the thing that ended it all. It I saved like, it all. It yeah, it was good. I like you reminding me of that because I felt like I felt like towards the end of this book, like through the exorcism, mm. I think it I, I started to lose it during the exorcism and then I felt like I felt like the author was losing steam and just kind of Blah, 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 blah. Well, it's a long way to get to that point. Mm. There's a lot of book before any of that stuff happens, yeah. isn't there, really? Oh, I mean, yeah. That's, that's the, I mean, that's the crescendo, isn't it? Yeah. The plot point in, mm. in the book. But but yeah, I like you reminding me of that. It's It hit nicer than what it did for me when I mm. read it, I feel like. Yeah. I adored this book. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know you weren't expecting me to. No. <laughs> I just, I like, this book has been packaged up into such an um, all-encompassing theme. And we haven't talked about the actual book itself no, yet. No, but we need to. Yeah, I've but got the that. the book, you know, the book is so drenched in 80s nostalgia um, that it was really, gosh, it reminded me so much of my childhood mm. and the things that, you know, those intense friendships you have when you're a kid yep. and your, your teenage years, they're so, particularly girls' teenage friendships, they're very, very, almost obsessively intense at times. Yep. And I thought that was really captured well, mm. you know, the drama mm. of needing to speak to your best friend, you know, and the, you know, oh, no, you can't speak to Abby tonight and just, you know. <laughs> The fallout of something like that. I yeah. remember being told you can't you can't be on the phone tonight. Right, that was just the end of the world. <laughs> you know, and you feel and you'd, write, and you'd write each other letters, oh, yes. and you'd write each other letters. You'd see each other at school all day, and then you would speak on the phone for two hours at night. Right, talking about God knows what. Yeah, and then you'd have all those little inside jokes that Abby yeah, and Gretchen had. The, this intense little world that's just your own, really. Mm. Um, I was totally charmed by all the 80s references. I wrote a few here. E.T., TV shows like Falcon Crest, Dynasty, Remington Steel, Silver Spoons, Facts of Life. Uh, The books, like she referenced there, the V.C. Andrews books, Flowers in the Attic, Judy Bloom. The fashion, like, did you have swatches here? Yeah, was that a thing? Okay, I had cool. A swatch watch. Swatches yeah. and scrunchies, yeah. and when you go to Jamaica and you get your hair hair braided in those cornrows, I never did that, and I always wanted to. <laughs> I wanted because the girls, the certain girls, would go away with their families. Mm. Did would I guess that wouldn't happen here no. because you wouldn't. Yeah, too far. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But they'd go away and then they'd come back after their holiday and they'd have all, the, like Bo Derek, you know, yes, in 10, yes. they'd have all their hair put in those braids and yeah. I would be desperately jealous. <laughs> I so wanted that. <laughs> and whenever I went away with my family, I could never find anywhere to do that. I don't know. I was going to the wrong places, apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah, I felt the same. You know, the tape decks, the music, mm. you know, even the descriptions of the interiors of the houses, mm. all of that stuff. It's very, yeah, it 
made me feel a lot of feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all the feels in this book. Yeah. And um, Jane mentioned the cover. This book has two different covers. Mm. The first one we saw, Jane was horrified by. It's yeah. pretty hideous, but it's also quite clever when you yeah. actually get it. We just saw it on a computer screen when we were looking for it initially and mm. thought, ugh. But then when we actually got the physical copy of the book, it's quite clever how they've made it look like an old vhs tape from yeah. the 80s and it's got all these it, it looks like a 80s horrible yeah. vhs tape yeah one of those cardboard ones that you slide the the video the out cassette of. into yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> with all the same little little be kind please rewind stickers on it yeah. and stuff like that so that is quite clever but the the copies that we ended up reading from were set out to look like a high school yearbook. And Jane, mm. you said you didn't have yearbooks like this when you I were I don't know school. what happens now in high school, obviously, because I'm old. But <laughs> when I was in high school, we had yearbooks, but they were absolutely nothing like the ones that you would have had. Absolutely not. Oh, I should have brought one of mine yes, in. you should. Oh, Please do. I that will do. Be amazing. <laughs> um, you know, even the things... I didn't realise it was a thing in yearbooks that parents or would like take out ads in the yearbook to congratulate their children and things like that. Like none of that. We didn't have any of that sort of stuff. Right. But they really do a good job of making it look very realistic mm. from those ads that Jane just mentioned and ads from like local community businesses. They would yeah. put their ads in as well. And, um, and then like at the beginning, the little, it says at the beginning, it's got some photos of black and white photos of different, um, high school looking kids and at the top it says our time to shine which yeah. is so exactly what it would say and then but more than that are all the signatures mm. that are in the inside and back inside front inside and back inside yeah. covers and they're so realistic like Aren't I swear they? when I bring mine yeah. in they're gonna look exactly like this all the different handwriting yeah. and not just the handwriting but the things they say it's so teenage and it's so drama so isn't it so you know full of feeling those <laughs> those strong feelings you have when you're a teenager you can you can read into that on in these little um signatures and little blurbs they've put in blurbs here and also people who are like trying to pretend that yes. they don't have feelings and they're yes. like just being super cool and also like really benign like just unfunny stuff that they think <laughs> is funny yeah, and, and you can tell it's full of inside jokes between yeah, yeah the back sort of last signature that you see is the one f mm. f to Gretchen from Abby, which unfortunately is covered no. by our library stickers. Because <laughs> it's probably the most important one, so we can't see a lot of it. But I love how Gretchen's written a line across part of the back of the book, and it says, do not write below this space. And that's yeah. totally a best friend thing that you would do. Like, this is my space to write yeah. to my best friend. And even the little PSS down the bottom, <gasps> I, know. I know it wasn't you, she says. And that's like a little, you know, a little hint. That was a reference to because I was the most distraught by the fact that yeah. Max died and so was Gretchen of yeah. everything that happened. All she, the horrible things. All the horrible yeah. things that she, when she was possessed, that she did. Mm. The thing that she couldn't get over was Max. Yeah. And she kept saying to Abby, you know it wasn't me. And so, yeah, yeah. Abby's written in the back, I know it wasn't you. Yeah. Oh, it was the demon. <laughs> I also liked that they didn't he didn't sanitize or gloss over any of those sort of not so nice things that were around in that in the 80s mm. you know you know the homophobia yes the slut shaming yes the 
very classist attitudes about you're from the wrong side of the tracks. Yep. You know, I'm rich, you're poor. Um, and the obsessive diet culture stuff. Yes. That was so prominent. I mean, I wasn't, I was old enough to see and hear about that, you know, in the in the 80s and early 90s. Mm. And that's very prominent through the book as mm. well. Another thing I appreciated was you could see the influence, I guess, of some of the, the moral panics at the time in yes. the 80s. You know, the satanic panic yes. in the 80s and 90s, the just say no to drugs stuff. You know, yep. that's when that was kind of first starting up as well. Yep. And then, of course, the AIDS epidemic yes and the fear that was around surrounding aids in the 80s and 90s so all of those things they they influenced parenting styles Mm. in in that era Um, and children of that time it changed their experience of childhood in a in a way that probably didn't um their parents didn't intend or realize yeah Mm. you know child like kids getting abducted stranger danger all of that stuff sort of came to the forefront in the 80s and 90s yeah um, and you can really feel that in the book particularly the satanic panic stuff yes for sure and I don't know if you know you obviously have heard about it but for our listeners I guess there was this this crazy moral panic in the in the 80s that there were these sort of rumors that started by one parent in I think it's in California who made a report that their child was being sexually abused at a childcare centre mm. and it just set off this whole big chain reaction of events across the country mm. about childcare centres, you know, doing satanic ritual abuse in tunnels underneath childcare <laughs> centres and, like, really, I mean, I don't even want to say some of the, the accusations because it's really horrible stuff mm. and it just took over. Like, people were crazy about it. And, you know, and there were people who were arrested and there were court cases and false accusations. And, and so there's certainly that undercurrent of fear throughout this whole book, particularly the relationship between the, the, the Abby and Gretchen and their parents, particularly mm. Gretchen's parents. Mm. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's a bit Very of a much so. kind of an 80s time capsule, this yeah. book, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. If you're interested in that satanic panic thing, um, the podcast I've mentioned before, You're Wrong About, does some really good, they do a few, they do it over a few episodes and talk about a book that was sort of integral in the satanic panic mm. thing. And they go through the book and break it down and yeah, do a good job of explaining yeah. how that sort of took hold of the nation. They even reference in here Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo Rivera, yep. Yeah, he, That's I don't, right. we don't know that show, but I think it's a bit of a Oprah, Ricky Lakey kind of a talk show, is it? Yeah, it's more, it's sort of borders on Jerry Springer. Right, so that end of the scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not include Oprah in that, for goodness sake. <laughs> yes. She's separate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's um, not quite Jerry Springer picking up chairs and yeah, smacking people over, but very getting there. Very sensationalist. Yes, yeah. very much so. So they reference in the book here that he did an expose, an hour and a half expose on, you know, these satanic ritual abuses. Mm. And I think since then he's come out apologising for that report because of the furor and the, the panic that it, cre- it helped to create. Right. So there's some real-life references in here that were really, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So you loved it. I did. Oh. Gosh, I really liked it. I, partway through, I wasn't sure. Because you, Jane kept saying to me, oh, I'm having trouble, I'm having yeah. trouble getting into it. 
and I was into it right away and I mm. had trouble sort of more like, like as I say when it got into yeah the as Gretchen became more possessed mm. was when I just I could not suspend my disbelief for some reason oh, I had trouble the the suspension of your disbelief in this book is ridiculous <laughs> yes, yeah you really <laughs> have ridiculous. to go there and I I just I couldn't and so the fact that you were I was feeling like that and you were saying you were having mm. a hard time getting into it I was thinking you weren't gonna like it and then I was feeling badly because this was my choice <laughs> <laughs> I no, I I liked I mean you have to sort of lean into the the vibe mm. of what the author's going for mm. this is supposed to be fun and you're supposed to suspend, suspend your belief and you're supposed to just, you know, it is like those bad horror <laughs> movies that you, you know, love to hate. Just, right. I mean, I would never watch, when this gets turned into a thing, I won't watch it because it'll be too scary, but the book, oh. you know, fun. Yeah, I yeah, I found the beginning fun, but I didn't find it at all scary or some people said it, it was really funny. I mean, I guess that bit that I read seemed funny just then, but I didn't f- I didn't find it funny particularly. I wasn't out loud laughing. No. I was amused. And someone said this the exorcism, the possession in this book is a metaphor for something. Oh but if gosh, that's I the case, no, it, it went right over my head if that's the case. I read also a few reviews saying, you know, was she actually possessed or was this you know, PSTD from whatever happened in the woods or mm. whatever, because you don't really actually get any answers about any of this either. That's true. She just was in the woods. You don't know what happened there. She says nothing no happened. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, I think the assumption is that that's when she becomes possessed by yeah, the demon. that's right. Somebody else pointed out, because there are these weird phone calls mm. throughout or sort of towards the end of the book with, and she talks about this boyfriend at a camp that mm. she had called Andy and it didn't occur to me, but I read somewhere, Andy Andress. Mm. Yeah, so maybe there was no Andy. It was always this demon uh. that was kind of warming his way into her brain. Yeah. Worm. Yuck. Don't say that. <laughs> Honestly, that was one of the grossest things it's I've bad. ever read. It was bad. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it so much that I will probably look at his other books. Right. Just because it was so different and fun. And I just, I love that there's a Spotify playlist. Mm-hmm. I love that the books look like this. Yeah. I love the, what are they called? What is this called? The, um, the intro inside p- cover. The inside covers are all uh, written all over. I just, I like that. And I like that this kind of thing can sometimes alienate a reader if it's too crazy looking. Mm. But I like that. And I like that whoever published it takes a risk with obviously all of, all of his books are like this I think oh are they are they yeah, the kind they're of all a bit strange <laughs> and a bit out there right uh, we should also say that the front cover of the book is also made to look like the f- the f- photograph pages mm. of the students in a yearbook but the person who we assume to be Gretchen is facing away from the camera, which I found very compelling as yeah. soon as I saw it. I thought, whoa, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciated the the holistic approach to the book. Yeah, I loved that too. I just, the story left oh, me a ridicu- bit. It's a ridiculous story, <laughs> isn't it though, really? It is. You know, but that's... It is. Yeah. But if you're after 80s nostalgia, this has got it. Yeah. This has got it in spades. <laughs> what else have you read, Jane? Uh, I read a book called Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. That's the only thing I've read this month. Mm. And I, 
lots of people have talked about this book. I devoured this book and I knew I would. I bought it and knowing that I would like it. Gosh, it's so, so sad and such a depressing book to read. Mm. I really felt it the week that I read it. I really, <laughs> really, I don't know, sunk down into a mild funk because <sighs> this book was so miserable. That's great. <laughs> um, but I also, this is one of the funniest books I've read in a little while, like laugh out loud, very dry book. And I think I've read this on one of our recent upcoming release Oh, okay. Books. Lots of people are reading it. It's about Martha who knows there's something wrong with her. She suffers clearly from debilitating depression since childhood right through all of her life. Uh, she marries Patrick, who she's known forever as well. Patrick's a, a lovely, kind, gentle soul. And it's sort of uh, it's about their marriage and how that sort of breaks down because of mental illness and the things that, you know, she possibly wanted to have like children but didn't have children and how that impacts her long term it's really really sad it's really really funny (laughs) (laughs) it's a very it's a very character driven which you know that I love Mm, it sometimes is a bit slow a few people here have tried it and they just could not even it was so boring to them ah but I really liked it's not going to be for everybody I've heard both I've heard people saying ugh, blah but also wow amazing. I've heard mostly wow I've heard mostly yeah. positive and this is a debut novel I think as well so it was yeah I don't know whether you would like it or not really you should give it a go though. yeah I'm going to it's I really want to. well written yeah so that's what I read it was sad and I was a sad sack for the whole week that I was reading <laughs> it so sorry family prepare <laughs> prepare to be depressed yeah. yeah maybe don't read it if you're uh in a bit of a funk yourself. Mm, it's just going to drive you further down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe this is a good segue then, because I read a nonfiction book. Well, I haven't finished it yet, but it's nonfiction, so I feel comfortable talking about it already, which is What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. Mm. It's really uh, out there right now. I see it everywhere. But it's about reframing the narrative from what's wrong with you to what happened to you. Mm. So Dr. Perry is an expert on the brain and trauma. So, of course, this is all about trauma, especially childhood trauma, and how it affects the brain and brain development in infants and children. It's not just about infants and children. It's also about, he talks about a man who develops PTSD from being in the war and then you know, can't help, can't stop his brain from reacting to things like a car backfiring and stuff like that. It talks about why that is. So they do look at some brief case studies like that. And then Oprah shares things from her own life, which probably lots Mm. of people know she um, suffered abuse and neglect in her own life. So it's really fascinating and informative. And I think important for developing empathy, like especially for us working Mm. um, in a public space dealing with all sorts of people uh, I think it's really important and this is a quote it's a subtle but profound shift in our approach to trauma and it's one that allows us to understand our pasts in order to clear a path to our future opening the door to resilience and healing in a proven powerful way wow is it easy to get through it is it is they break they break up it's they almost um it's set out like a conversation between oprah and dr perry so yeah it is pretty easy to read topics like that can be a bit heavy going and not a very accessible read yeah i would say this is accessible and then Mm. they break it up with little sort of figures drawings to sort of 
try and uh, depict the brain and the the layers of the brain, the cortex and all the mm. different things. It sounds like it's technical, but it's it's yeah, it's it's accessible. I would say mm. very interesting. Yeah, I liked Sounds it. Good. I'm enjoying it. Should we talk about some literary news? Yes, please. So the big literary news, I think, is that recently Eric Carle, who was the author of The Very Hungry Caterpillar, uh, he died at 91. I know. Mm. That was that was sad news, wasn't it? it? Yeah, it affected lots of people. Yeah. It's such a beloved book. We oh, did a little yeah. thing uh, for The Very Hungry Caterpillar, which turned 50 two years ago, I think it was. Yeah. Such a ahead of its time yeah. book. And so appropriate, like such a beautiful story and beautiful illustrations. Very, you know, the fact that it's 50 years old, it's mm. something that could have been written and illustrated now. It's very... Yeah, yeah. It, it stands the test of time. It's timeless. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we have a copy at home and it is literally falling apart and Aww. it's been read so many times mm. to both of the kids. Yeah. Lovely. Sad news. Yeah. Now, there's some book-to-movie news. Uh, one is that Tara June Winch's novel The Yield is going to be adapted to the screen and that's going to be done by Tony Briggs who did The Sapphires. Oh, fun. Yeah, so that is something to look out for. Also, Nine Perfect Strangers is going to be streaming on Amazon Prime in Australia later this year. That'll uh, be interesting. It was, that book wasn't as well received as Big Little Lies. Did you read? I did. Nine and Perfect I, Strangers? And I would agree that it wasn't my favourite for sure. I didn't even get through it all. Oh, right. Yeah. But I've seen the casting and I'm compelled by the casting. I think Casting's Nicole amazing. Kidman would make a very good Mara, I think the character's name is. Mm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Excellent. There's a few interesting things coming out this month. A couple that I'll whip through because they don't need much of a, an explanation. Fiona McIntosh has got a new book coming out on the 1st of June called Mirror Man. So this is um, a new crime thriller in the DCI Jack Hawksworth series. That's out this month. There's another one that is going to be highly anticipated and I've snuck it in. It technically comes out in May but... I'm going to mention it anyway, The Missing Sister by Lucinda Riley. So oh. this is the final instalment in the Seven Sisters series. My sister-in-law is super into this series and she can't yeah. wait. Well, she, I think she ended up buying it. She just couldn't wait. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I imagine there's loads of people like that. So mm. this is the seventh instalment. Millions and millions of copies of this this series have been sold around the world. So there'll be millions of people excited <laughs> about that. So that's out. That's just out now. There's another book called Rememberings by Sinead O'Connor that's coming oh. out. So this is out also on the 1st of June. It's a Penguin book. So this is where O'Connor tells her story, the heartache of growing up in a family falling apart, her early forays into the Dublin music scene, her adventures and misadventures in the world of sex, drugs and rock and roll, the fulfilment of being a mother, her ongoing spiritual quest and through it all her abiding passion for music. So mm. this isn't her first book but this seems a bit more all-encompassing, maybe, of not just her musical career, but but everything. I guess she's at a time in her life now where she can kind of look back and yeah. give a big picture of yeah. all of that. You it know, sounds really good. I imagine that she probably addresses the infamous tearing up of the Pope John Paul II. I think that was on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, that it? was, yeah. yeah. Which outraged millions of people at the time mm. and she was absolutely slated for that yeah when it happened talk about cancelled that was yeah, cancelled before cancelling was a thing yeah that's <laughs> right so that's out this month as well 
another call, a book called The Other Black Girl. I reckon this might appeal to you, this mm-hmm. one. It's by Zakia Delilah Harris. It's called The Other Black Girl. The other black girl, it's they're saying it's Get Out, the movie. Get oh. Out meets the devil wears Prada. Ooh. That's cosmopolitan quote, by the right. way. So you know that's reliable. Twenty-six-year-old <laughs> um, <laughs> editorial assistant Nella Rogers is tired of being the only black employee at Wagner Books. Fed up with the isolation and the microaggressions, she's thrilled when Hazel Set starts working in the cubicle beside her. They've only just started comparing natural hair care regimes. Though when a string of uncomfortable events calls, caused Nella to become public enemy number one and Hazel the office darling. Then the notes begin to appear on Nella's desk. Leave Wagner now. Ooh. This is a whip smart and dynamic thriller and sly social commentary. The other black girl will keep you on the edge of your seat until the very last twist. Oh, I love a twist. <laughs> that does sound good. So that's out beginning of June as well. So now... I'm going to struggle explaining this one. Oh. We had one of these last month too, didn't <laughs> we, that I couldn't really encapsulate. Mm. It's called Rabbits by Terry Miles. So they're saying this is perfect for fans of Stranger Things and Black Mirror. Oh, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's for you. <laughs> it's a compulsive read and it's based on the hit podcast from the Public Radio Alliance, which I assume the podcast is called Rabbits. Have oh. you heard of that? No. No, I'd have to look either. for it. So here goes. (laughs) Rabbits is a secret, dangerous and sometimes fatal underground game. The rewards for winning are unclear, but there are rumours of money, CIA recruitment or even immortality. Or it might unlock the universe's greatest secrets. But everyone knows that the deeper you get, the more deadly the game becomes and the body count is rising. Since the game first started, 10 iterations have taken place and the 11th round is about to begin. That's it. Wow. <laughs> and they made a podcast? I'm well, the podcast, I've so many questions. I know. The podcast was first, I think, and it's based on that. But it's fiction, obviously. Yes. Science fiction, thriller, suspense. It's a Pan Mac book. So, I don't know. Mm. It got a bit of a Ready Player One vibe right. to it as well, yeah. perhaps. Yep. Got a bit scarier and I don't know. You did a good job, Jane. <laughs> You did a good job. And do you remember what I said the other day about rabbits on the cover? Yes. I was going to ask you, is there a rabbit on the cover? (laughs) Jane, I put a post on our our Instagram because Jane just happened to say to me, all books with rabbits on the cover are are traumatic. traumatic, (laughs) So I asked the question. So hopefully someone reads that and they can confirm my theory. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we talk about our next book? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) Our next book is The Husband Poisoner by Tanya Bretherton. So this is the blurb. Shocking real-life stories of murderous women who used rat poison to rid themselves of husbands and other inconvenient family members. For readers of compelling history and true crime from critically acclaimed award-winning author Tanya Brotherton. After World War II, Sydney experienced a crime wave that was chillingly calculated. Discontent mixed with despair, greed with callous disregard. 
women who had lost their wartime freedoms headed back into the kitchen with sinister intent, and the household poison thallium, normally used to kill rats, was repurposed to kill husbands and other inconvenient family members. Yvonne Fletcher disposed of two husbands. Carolyn Grills cheerfully poisoned her stepmother, a family friend, her brother, and his wife. Unlike arsenic or cyanide, thallium is colorless, odorless, and tasteless. Victims were misdiagnosed as insane, malingerers, or ill due to other reasons. And once one death was attributed to natural causes, it was all too easy for an aggrieved woman to kill again. This is the story of a series of murders that struck at the very heart of domestic life. It's the tale of women who looked for deadly solutions to what they saw as impossible situations. The husband poisoner documents the reasons behind the choices these women made and their terrible outcomes. Mm. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because <laughs> Jane uh, had that in her What's Coming Out next last month yes and we thought that it sounded so good that we wanted to Sounds have it as our really next book interesting and we haven't done non-fiction for ages yes. and we've never done true crime have we i don't think so unless you count um, uh, my friend anna, <laughs> my friend anna i guess that's sort of crime <laughs> sort of true crime <laughs> technically <laughs> True crime meets gossip column. Yeah, gossip girl meets, yeah. <laughs> so we've got copies in the system. Unfortunately, at this point, it's not available on Libby or Borrowbox, but get online and, and reserve your hard copy now. Read along with us. Join the Facebook group, subscribe, like, rate, all the things, and we'll see you next month. Bye. Bye. cardigan on my lap <laughs> you have got your i've got my scarf four layers and my, yeah four layers <laughs> and i got my other scarf around my lap we're all rugged up like nanas this is like uh there's a poltergeist in here that's making it so cold. <laughs> how appropriate for our book <laughs> if i see steam start to come out of your mouth and <laughs> i spew all over the floor start being mean <laughs>